Hallelujah. You may be seated in the house of God. Thank you for coming this morning. I'm not a horse from preaching too much. I'm horse from allergies, and I don't have leprosy. I'm just peeling from being out in the sun. Everybody go, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> I don't feel sorry for me. I was in Florida and Texas. But I brought the warm weather back for you guys. Aren't you happy? Spring has sprung. Hallelujah. Open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 5 for review, and then we'll get into chapter 6 where we're at today. So glad that you guys are here. Thank you for coming, everybody. Make a little room so you guys can see better over on this side section. These are my amen sections, right? Oh, y'all ain't amen in loud enough. Come on, amen section. Come on, come on. So if you're new with us, we're going through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I just want to say this as well, that I heard Rudy did an amazing job. Can we bless the Lord for him last week? We did, we did have one issue. I was listening to him talk to first service, and he's normally a second service guy. And he came to first service, and he's like, wow, uh, you guys are normally dead, but it was alive this morning. And I said, brother, I said, brother, you can't mess with them like that. First service are the folks who come early, amen? Those sleeping second service folks, they have an advantage, I guess. The coffee's already kicked in, but I still think first service is on fire, amen? That's right, amen. So, and it was funny because when I got to him on that, he said, oh, my wife already told me, don't say that to him. So I apologize on behalf of Rudy to the first service. You're not dead. You're alive in Christ, Amen. And so if you're new, we're going through the book of Revelation, and we're learning about what it's going to look like when Jesus Christ comes back to judge the earth. I, I've given you a, a chart here. They're in the notes on the app, and I hope that you understand. My heart is to be very sincere in what I believe is going to happen. What I have been gracious over and what I have been uh, more lenient towards is how is it going to happen. Now, this chart comes from John Hagee, and John Hagee, as well as the Baptists and the Assemblies of God and a lot of other great preachers and teachers, as well as myself, ascribe to this as our best understanding of what it is going to look like when Jesus Christ comes back. Uh, starting with the tribute, excuse me, starting with the rapture, then the three and a half years of tribulation, and then the last three and a half years of great tribulation, with Christ coming back, judging the earth, battle of Armageddon, then a thousand year reign, and then after the thousand year reign, the great white throne judgment, hell thrown into the lake of fire for eternity and the believers living on the new heavens or living on the new earth in the new heavens. Can I hear an amen to that if you believe that? Okay, so that's that's the standard of what you will hear in most churches. Like I said, Baptist Assembly of God, Left Behind Book Series, John Hagee as well. Boy, you, you knew how to leave at the right time, didn't you? We, we had to apologize for you, my brother, but we also clapped for your sermon. You did good. God bless you. He's a great servant. I love him. I love Brother Rudy. Amen. We can clap for him again. He's all right. Thank you, my brother. And so this is what we believe. Now, as I get ready to, to get into the beginning of the judgments, as we get into the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the seven seals right here, what I want to now introduce to you is a debate that's among even those who are pre-raptured. So there are some, or if you remember, we've talked, like us, who believe that all of this is going to happen after the rapture. Then there's others who believe it happens in the middle, or excuse me, they believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. Then there's others who believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, and then at the end of the tribulation, so post, mid, or excuse me, pre, mid, and post-tribulation rapture views. Now, even among us who are pre-tribulation, there is now a debate about how the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls of wrath interwork with each other. Now, we know that there's an interval between each one of the seals and the trumpets before they get to the bowls. But then they have some similarities, and there are things that begin to happen right around chapters 12 through 13 and 14 that take us all the way back to the beginning of Israel's history. So people then kind of think that this is, could be pre-trib, it doesn't matter where you are, pre-trib, post-mid. They begin to think because there's this interlude here where we see the personages is represented in the beast and the woman with the stars, that possibly the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls 
are all talking about the same exact time period. Now, I personally don't believe that because I believe there is a linear building up. And I think that's what John Hagee is also saying here. And that seems to be more of the standard view. But I just wanted to say that as we get into reading this because I'm going to have to do my best to make sense out of some statements that do seem to throw back into different periods of times. So if you don't understand where I'm going with that, you will in just a minute. That's why I wanted to introduce you to that, that there are some people like the Fire Study Bible put out by the Assemblies of God, Great Study Bible. If you guys are ever wondering, like, man, what's a Great Study Bible? Fire Study Bible by the Assemblies of God believes that these are cyclical so that these would actually be overlapping the, le- the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls would be overlapping on each other, talking about the same period. I actually believe there's a time when the seals stop and the trumpets start, and then when the trumpets stop, the bowls of wrath happen, and this brings us right to the end. But like I said, some people think while the seals are happening, the trumpets are happening, and the bowls are happening. How many understand the different viewpoints there? Okay, how many are ready to get into the text? Okay, amen. Let's get into it. Just a reminder, because this is important, because I took a week off when I was out preaching. Well, I was preaching in Dallas, but you know, it took a week off from here. But I want us to see here, this is how it starts. The Lamb of God is the one worthy to open up the seals of judgment. And remember, John in heaven weeps when he sees that no one can open up these seals. So he's not weeping just because he didn't win the lottery. He's not weeping just because he's had a bad day. He's weeping because he doesn't know is the judgment going to come? How is this going to happen. No one is worthy to do this because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And angels, yes, they have judged us in times past, but they don't have the right to judge the whole creation. It's not theirs. But then he is told by the by one of the elders, do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. How many are excited about that? Amen. Praise God. He has triumphed. And everybody get the two images that we see here. He's a lion and he is a lamb. He is a lion and a lamb because now we're going to hear, I saw a lamb. Up here, he's the lion. So he's both and, not either or. And we need to be thankful that Jesus did that. And that's why we always ought to pray. May people know Jesus as their Savior before they meet him as their judge. And that's what's going to happen in the future. Jesus is going to judge, and he's worthy to do it. And that's a good thing because, remember, everybody has a problem with evil. When you go and preach the gospel, I guarantee you, you're going to meet somebody that has a problem with evil. They're going to say, hey, how can there be a good God when all of these bad things happen? Have you ever heard that before, preaching to people? It always comes up. Well, hey, I got an answer to the problem of evil. His name is Jesus. Jesus solved the problem of evil. How did he solve it? First, by getting evil out of us by dying on the cross. And then at judgment, he's going to get evil off the planet. So when they say, well, I just wish God would do it now, you better be careful for what you're asking for because if you're not born again, you get taken out with the evil too. Because evil doesn't necessarily just reside in trees, though it's suffered under the curse. Evil resides in the hearts and souls of people who have rebelled against God. So may we be uh, praying that God would be long-suffering, as the Bible says, because that, that more time that he gives is more time for people to be saved. How many want to see Chicago saved? Amen. I want to see this city saved. So the time that we have, it's for the gospel to go forth and for lives to be changed. So the Lamb of God, he's the worthy one that can open up the scroll and the seals that are on those scroll, on that scroll. He's willing, he's willing to do it, he's able to do it, and he's worthy to do it. Think about that right there. Worthy is the Lamb, they begin to shout out, who was slain to receive the power, wealth, wisdom, and strength, and honor, glory, and praise. And as we talked about before in the previous chapter, we see that the Father is worshipped. And now they say the same worship to the Father, but they add in the Lamb, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. How many believe Jesus is God? He's not the Father, but he's equally God as the Father. Now we get into Revelation chapter 6. Let's get into it verse by verse from this point forward. 
I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest." The first of the four seals being opened are going to be the first four, are going to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. How many have heard of those before? And the apocalypse just means the things coming at the end, the revelation at the end. Revelation, apocalypse actually are the same word, just different languages. And so here are the, be, uh, the, be, the signs of the beginning of the end. And I don't believe Christians are here from, for this. I believe we have been raptured because the Bible says that he has not appointed us unto rapture. Wrath. And it is clear that this is the wrath of God. Just to skip ahead, because I always want to give time to those who are still trying to figure out when the rapture happens. When you go down to the end of chapter 6, at the end of uh, the sixth seal, they cry out, the people of the earth, for the great day of their wrath, talking about the Father and the Son, for the great day of their wrath has what? has come, and who can withstand it? Now, are you appointed for wrath, or are you not appointed for wrath? Are you supposed to be looking for the Antichrist, or are you supposed to be looking for the second coming of Christ? You know, we as Christians are not supposed to be looking for the Antichrist. We're supposed to be looking for the coming of Christ for his bride and to be taken up to be with him. Can I hear an amen if you believe that? So the next thing on our schedule as a Christian is Christ's coming. And Christ's second coming has two parts, one for his church and then one for the earth, okay? And so I'm a part of the first of the second coming of Jesus. Uh, listen, there's two parts of the second coming of Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? You got to get that. There's two parts to that. There's the part where he comes for his bride, and then there's the part where he comes to the earth. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming to get me. So those who are upon the earth, when that first horsemen comes, they are going to see the world turn into war, into chaos. And I believe this is part of what's going to set up the one world government of the Antichrist, is that there's going to be so much chaos, probably set off by us, the Christians leaving the planet. People are going to fight for power. They're going to fight for territory. They're going to try to loot and take your house, you know, that you're not there. And people are going to fight over whose house it is. So there's going to be a lot of chaos at the beginning. But notice this. This is structured chaos. The structure is that God has allowed it to happen. He said, I'm, I'm allowing this to come upon the earth right now. Now we go to verse three. When the lamb, somebody say the lamb. Now notice before he was called a lion and a lamb, but he's opening seals as a lamb because he's worthy to do it. He was already the lion before he had ever come into creation. But as the one who was dead, buried, and rose again, he has the right to judge. And so judgment from God is coming as a lamb. And that is showing that this was never his intention for mankind. The, the Bible says that the lake of fire was only prepared for the devil and his angels. But sadly, there's enough room for you if you want to go there with them. Does anybody want to go with the devil and his angels? Somebody say, to hell with hell. I'm not going there. Everybody say, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Somebody say, hell no. Heaven, yes. And you're not cursing in church. You're just talking about real places. Amen. And somebody say, God is going to damn it. A lot of people have been damning things all throughout human history. I'm not cursing again. It's an actual thing. But God is going to damn it. Sometimes when somebody says, you know, that, that phrase, you can look at it, and if it's a part of this earth and everything, you can say, yeah, you're right, God is going to damn that thing. God's going to set that hammer on fire, but you shouldn't be yelling at the hammer right now, right? God, yep, God's, that thing you just stubbed your toe on that you want God to damn, he is going to damn it. Okay, but don't be here with it. Use those as opportunities to preach. Here's another one. When somebody sneezes and they think uh, that they have to say God bless you to you or something like that, just go, yes, I was blessed before I sneezed, while I sneezed, and after I sneezed because I got Jesus. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? You know, you can ask them. I'm blessed because I got Jesus. Those are some things to think about. So here we now go into the next, uh, the next seal, and we see that the lamb opens the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, come. And there is another horse he came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So you can see they're kind of playing on each other. This one is that there's going to be conquering happening. The next one is it's going to come through the sword, and it's going to go across the earth. 
people are going to begin to kill each other. And then in verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say. So remember, there's four living creatures, and they're kind of uh, working with Jesus as these judgments are coming. He said, come, and I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice coming from a four living creature saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not uh, damage the oil and the wine. Everybody say, don't mess with the oil and the wine. (laughs) Amen. How many know don't mess with that? Amen. That's the good stuff right there. But what this is prophesying right here is there's going to be inflation. This is about 10 to 12 times the amount you would need to pay for wheat and for barley. But notice this. While inflation is coming upon the earth, there's also wealth and prosperity, and that seems to be uh, something that's going alongside of the famine. That's something to think about, that, that oftentimes when we see inflation and poverty strike a nation, there always seems to be a little group, a little, a little group of people that can always manage to wiggle their way out of it. Can I hear an amen to that? And they become the haves while everybody else becomes the have-nots. And this is actually prophesied in the Bible that at this time when the majority of people are not even going to have enough money for the wheat and the barley, there's going to be a lot of wealth being stored up in other places. And we believe that's because the Antichrist is going to be gathering together the wealth, the power, the nations. He's going to be planning and scheming. And it probably will come through his promise of peace, his promise of a unified government will there be no more 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 no more war where there will be prosperity and everybody will be able to eat hey I got food for you and that's probably going to be how he comes to power number seven here when the lamb opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say come so there now we're completing the fourth uh, seal fourth horseman fourth living creature I looked and there before me was a pale horse its rider was named death and Hades and it was following close behind him there was given power over a fourth of the earth to killed by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. How many think this is scary right here? I'm like, man, what's going on? Wild beasts of the earth killing you. So there's a couple, you know, because we pretty much get the beginning part. A fourth of the earth is going to die. Just right here. Boom. That's it. Now, this is why I just cannot be, uh, you know, mid or post-tribulation rapture, because how in the world is a fourth of the earth going to die and that not affect the Christians, as well as all of these other things? So once again, people have tried to give the example who are either mid or post and say, well, if God could keep the Israelites during the time of the judgment of Egypt, well, then he can do the the same thing with the Christians. But remember, I mean, if you're just looking at a map, you have Egypt and its, its central city where the Pharaoh was at, you know, and then you have on the outside where the, you know, Israelites lived. It's pretty easy to understand how everything bad can be happening there, and then outside of that, it can be good. How many get that? You know, it's like everything bad, judgment happening in, in the city, and then you can just look outside here in the suburbs wherever and see something not happening there. I mean, that's pretty obvious that that can happen. But the Bible says here that war comes across the whole earth. That people are killing each other across the whole earth. It's global in its scale. So I don't think that example works. What I think the example is, is that before God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do with Lot? He got him out. Come on, somebody say, get out. Come on, get up and get out. Amen. So that's what I believe. And then, you know, the same thing can be said about Noah. Before Noah, uh, before the earth got judged, God got Noah off the earth, and he put him in an ark. And so I believe in both of those examples, we see a better understanding of what it's going to be like going through the tribulation. We're getting out of where the situation is because this is going to be global again, a fourth of the earth is killed through the sword, famine, plague, and then wild beasts. Wow, that sounds quite terrifying. So there's a couple of things that might you know, be at play here. Number one, because so many things are happening in urban areas, people run out into the countryside, and it doesn't go so well for them. And so there might be some battles with some animals. Also, some of the places that we consider rural and unreached, people may be running there to the jungles, out into the, the plains of Africa. Who knows, you know, like these lush areas, people might start running out into those areas facing lions. And then there's also a, a, a maybe a, a sense of going back to being killed by a wild beast because of persecution. So there may be people that, that start rising up, kind of like if you, if you think of these uh, 
you know, Mad Max kind of dystopian things. You're living in the Thunderdome type age that some people might start gathering together little colonies and as a form of punishing Christians, feeding them to wild beasts for entertainment. I don't know how wild beasts are going to account for a lot of the death on the planet, but the Bible says it's happening. I believe it. How many believe that's going to happen? How many want to be here when it happens? No, you don't. You want to be up where Christ is at watching as you see this coming upon the earth. Now verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a long voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each one of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. Somebody say, a little longer. Thank you. Until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had had been. Here we now get into that kind of, um, you know, debate about what's going on here. So we see now the, the throne, underneath the throne, rather, the, the saints of martyrdom. And now we begin to ask ourselves, here with the fifth seal, we begin to ask ourselves, is, are, are these martyrs only those who have died during the first four seals, or are they the martyrs of all Christendom? How you answer that is going to kind of play on how you see the rest of the things happening. So for me, who believes that this is playing out linearly, that these things from the seals to the trumpet to the bowls are all going full forward in literal time, I believe that those who are there are those who have been raptured and who have been martyrs from all Christian history. So I believe under that throne will be those who have died like in the underground church in China, in North Korea, from our age, in all the different ages. And the reason why I say that is because I believe the church has been raptured and is there. Now, if you say, well, Joe, I think that those might just be the saints who died during the tribulation. The question is, then where are the ones who have, have died martyrdoms from times prior? Is there another place where they are and they don't get to be under that throne? Only the tribulation saints get to be under that throne? How many know that begins to raise up some questions? And it doesn't sound right that there would be different compartments of the throne where you can't go unless you were martyred during this certain time. So I take the simple understanding, as I said from the beginning, I take the simple understanding. And many of you might be like, yeah, your simple understanding is where I'm at. But then you're going to have to deal with one problem, one problem that's going to come up and it's going to make it a little bit difficult for our position. So I just want to make sure you understand why I believe I'm right at this point. And it's because I think it's more difficult to the problem that we're going to face. I do believe it's difficult, but I believe this is more difficult for them to deal with. Where are the rest of the martyrs who have been martyred outside of the tribulation? So what I believe we've been seeing here here, what we're seeing here is all martyred Christian. All martyred Christians are there. Okay, can I hear an amen? Amen. You're tracking with me. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll, rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, who can withstand it? Now this is to the credit of those who believe that these are cyclical, that, that the seals are happening during the same time of the trumpets and the same time of the bowls of wrath, this is where they get their point from because they say at the end of the sixth seal, we're basically to the battle of Armageddon. It sounds very similar at, like at the, book of, uh, at the end of the book of Revelation. Now here's where I, I make my point to say, no, we're still moving along linearly, is I believe this happens multiple times where people have chances to repent and they don't and God is just doing amazing signs and wonders but it's not enough to convince them to turn back. So you, if 
if you believe there's only one time when God dropped stars on the earth, if you believe, because we're going to hear about wormwood in the future coming down, blowing some things up like an asteroid, a star falling from the earth, because that's why I believe those stars are, is asteroids and meteors. If you believe there's only one time when stars fall from the earth and there's only one time when everybody cries out something to God like they're actually talking back to him, then you would have to take the cyclical approach that every time we go back into the trumpets, every time we go into the bowls, it's bringing us right back to this time period. But if you're taking my approach, then you're beginning to, to believe that as this is happening, God is still giving them chances, showing them that he's powerful, he's in charge, but they're getting more stiff-necked, and as they get more stiff-necked, the punishments get worse until the last stiff-neckedness is them literally screaming at God coming back while he's riding the horse and them trying to aim weapons at him, hence the battle of Armageddon, and he slaughters over 100 million that day. So I believe that this is the first time that they begin to understand, like, this is not just aliens anymore. I think they have been convinced by the Antichrist somewhere in this that, that the aliens have, have taken us and that he's going to build his world power on that. I think as demons start to come forth, he's going to start going back to that lie. But here they're kind of given the idea that maybe this is not just aliens because the whole sky opens up. Stars are falling down. All the mountains disappear. So just imagine how great of an earthquake this has to be for a 30,000 mountain, 30,000 foot mountain like Mount Everest to be crumbled. Okay, because you got to remember, we've already lost a fourth of the population. Now we're having earthquakes and, and, and mountains tumbling down. So it's huge. But then this is where I believe the Antichrist starts doing signs and wonders and kind of distracts everybody and says, don't think about that. That's not really what you thought it was. And then he's like, well, watch me. Watch the trick that I can do. I'm actually in charge and, and I'm from another planet or a different dimension and I'm going to start bringing out some of my, my people and they're, they're going to show you more stuff and that's where we see these animals, uh, these locust-like creatures come out of the abyss. Apollyon, this chief demon is going to be walking around. And, and once again, how in the world could this be happening with Christians full of the Holy Spirit in the church age happening? And if, he and, and if somebody says, well, the church age stops and Christians go into the tribulation age, then Jesus lied to us about us having power and authority because he never said the power and authority was going to be taken from the church age. He said, I will be with you to the very end of the age and that this, is, this was our job. We could cast out demons. We could speak in tongues. Now, do I still believe people can be saved during the tribulation? Yes, but they are not going to have the same ability to do signs and wonders and to have the power and authority over demons because like we see in the Bible, the demons are going to be roaming the earth. The false signs and wonders will happen right in front of us, where I said before that if that was to happen now, because some people say, well, why doesn't it just happen now? You know, why doesn't it just happen now? Well, because any tongue talk, uh, blood-bought tongue talking believer here sees it, they're going to shut it down 30 seconds. And I'm telling you, I have witnessed it. I used to go, go out preaching the gospel in New Orleans, and they would get so upset with me just standing by them sometimes because there would be tarot card readers in Jackson Square. They would say, you've got to get out of here. You're, you're, you're affecting my ability to hear from the spirits. I'm telling you, just being by them, they would know that I was affecting their business. Can I hear an amen? And then there were other times where I, where I would have encounters. You know, I would talk to them, be nice. I always would bring out water and snacks. A lot of them were homeless, and I would bring out water and snacks, and we would talk. And then sometimes you could just see with the tarot card readers, man, their, their eyes would just glass over, their face would contort, and they would start growling and howling at me. And I would say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And there was this one time that it happened, and it was almost like, man, it was like a clap of thunder and just something shot down because the, there was a row of them. They would kind of like line up as a row. When I was rebuking this one, you could just hear like squeals and screams out this whole row. You could just see like almost like a flash of lightning just go through all of them. And then they just looked at me, you know, like, what just happened? I lost whatever I had. I couldn't do what I was doing, you know. And it was because I was rebuking the spirits out of someone that was manifesting. And uh, I'm telling you, those things are real. So I really, I believe that the reason why Christians aren't able to do that is because the, the church age has ended, the majority of us are gone, and those who are being saved are a minority, and they don't have the power and authority uh, anymore. But once again, that's how they would kind of tie this together. They would say, if you believe in the typical understandings, because how many times they're basically asking, can God roll back the heavens? How many times can he destroy mountains? How many times can he do that? And I think he can do it as many times as he wants to, and I think he's doing as a part of building it up 
as he did with the, the time in Egypt, as he was building it up, they had more signs and wonders, but their hearts got harder and harder. And so it was a part of his righteous judgment. Another thing that we want to see right here is that when the, the, the moon turns blood red, every time in our society, people think Jesus is coming back. Now, God bless John Hagee. You know, we have his chart up here. He wrote the book, and I don't know. I think he's careful not to predict things, but he's always trying to say something about these, these, these blood moons, okay? And that, that, I think, it's a little bit superstitious. The next one that we're going to have is actually this month, May 26, 2021. And if you're a fan of, of John Hagee, we love you and bless you. I had an, um, a family member that really loved him. She's like, man, you got to read that book. you got to read that book. And I'm like, do I really? Do I really? Because I really don't want to, you know. And so, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, just say, hey, you know what? Maybe he's saying something there, but I just, I don't have the faith to receive it because I feel like so many of these things seem superstitious. But I do believe that when you see the moon blood red that day, you're going to know that it's something different. How are you going to know it's something different? Because at that same day, stars are going to be falling from earth. That same day, the heavens are going to open up. You're going to see something go on in our atmosphere. That same day, you're going to see every mountain and island be removed from its place. So you're going to know at that day, that, that blood moon red or that moon turning to blood red, that's something special. That's different. Amen? Okay. Now, here's where we get into the interpretive principle of the interval. Everybody say interval. Thank you. No matter how you see these uh, you know, these different judgments, everybody agrees that there are intervals and overlapping. So now we've only stopped at the sixth seal, and the trumpets are on their way. So what's going to happen between the sixth seal and the first trumpet? There's an interval. Between the last trumpet and then the bowls of wrath, there's an interval. It's just part of what the, the story, how the story goes, how it was written. So now we got to take a pause. From this, you know, from the after the sixth seal, and get into what happens here, which to me is now one of the biggest points that I make towards the church being gone as a whole, because now we see what God's plan is for Israel. Somebody say Israel, because remember. God always keeps his word. God never is a man that he should lie. He made promises to Israel, and he's not going to fail on any one of those promises. That's why we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why we have to bless and say shalom aleichem to all the Jewish people that we meet, which is peace upon you. The, the Muslims stole that from the Jews. Peace has been a greeting of God's people from day one, okay? And we need to understand that a part of the tribulation is to wake up Israel to their Messiah so that all of Israel might be saved. How many believe that today? Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that an Israeli or a Jewish person of descent can be saved without being born again. It just means that God keeps his promise to that nation. And sometimes you'll meet a sassy Jew, and they'll say, well, you're just praying that I go through tribulation so that I can get saved. You're basically happy that I'm in the land so that I can go through Armageddon and fulfill some of your signs. And I'm like, yeah, you're actually right. That's partly true. We want you in the land so the end can come. But it's not so that you go through it. Join the church now. Be raptured with us. Amen. But, yeah, every now and then they'll put the two and two together like, because, you know, we're like, let's send the Jews back to the land. Let's send the Jews back to the land. And then they'll be like, why are you sending me back here so quick? Why are you so happy about me going back to the land? Well, you're fulfilling our prophecy. Well, what prophecy am I fulfilling? The one where I get a bunch of good stuff? Uh, not really. You're fulfilling the one where the judgment begins. But do we want them to go through it? No, we want them to be saved. But the Bible says there's enough of them left that this begins to happen. We'll hear about the 144,000 here. So here's the interval. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Just had to put this here to help anybody who thinks the Bible teaches a flat earth, because sometimes we talk about that here. The four corners of the earth is just like the four sides of a compass, and we know that you can have that with a globe. And then even if it was locally over Israel, 
Israel, the four corners of their state, of their country. However you want to see it, I don't think this is uh, speaking about a, a flat earth because we also see that God sits on the spear of the earth in Isaiah. Okay? So the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. So here are these angels. They're holding back the winds. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given given power to harm the land and the sea. So these uh, angels might be the same ones that were messing with the, the land and the sea before. Now this angel says to those angels, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now here is where the point the the mid-trib and the post-trib were making, that God can protect his people in the midst of devastation. But notice, it's only this 144,000. That's all he's doing it for. He's not doing it for over 2 billion Christians upon the planet. Now, this is where the cults will say, oh, yeah, Everybody who's saying post and mid-trip in the Christian faith, they're right. We're going through it. And guess what? We're the 144,000. Do you see how they use that now to prove their point? See, we don't have to go for that. We can simply say the church at large, the body of Christ, has been delivered, is in the presence of God. Now God is going to deal with Israel, and he's going to give 144,000 of them, as we're going to learn, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. He's going to give them a seal that is now going to protect them so that they can go out throughout the earth and begin to preach the gospel. That's what I believe explains this the best. Otherwise, how come everybody else is not sealed? And then am I not getting sealed? Do I not even have a chance of getting sealed because I'm not an Israelite? So then you've got to take, this is what you've got to do now. You've got to take everybody else and say they don't get sealed. So there's literally only 144,000 Christians left, right, to take kind of the post or mid, mid-tribulation. Forget about Jehovah's Witnesses. We know that they're wrong. But let's just take the post or mid-trib. So only those who are getting protected is 144,000. So the church reduces down to the smallest, if, you know, if, 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 how do you call that? How do you call that? Uh, the, the, the infinitesimal, that word I'm trying to think of. Yes, somebody's trying to say it. Infinitesimal. Thank you, sir. Infinitesimal. Very small. We'll go back to very small. Upequito. A very small number. So somebody might say, oh, oh, you know, well, the, the Bible says wide is the gate, narrow is the, you know, wide is the gate to destruction, narrow is the path. If it's so narrow now, it's only 144,000. Heaven is going to be an empty place. The, whole, the new heavens and new earth, it's going to be empty. So, so the person who believes in mid-trip or post-trip has to say, well, it doesn't really count for everybody, but God's going to protect everybody like he protects them. Well, why didn't he say that? It says he's only protecting the 144,000. And then the others say, well, yeah, that's true, and there's only that many of us left. So then what is the point of naming off the tribes? Because if that's just, you know, symbolic, like it's not a literal tribe, then why is he even naming it? Why doesn't he just say, out of the very, very, very few believers on the earth, he now protects them and seals them and allows them to go through the rest of it. So, you know, this 144,000, why is it now named the literal tribes? Now, going back to my simple interpretation, everybody say, keep it simple. See, I like the KISS principle. Keep it simple, saints. Don't call yourself stupid. Come on. Somebody was like, he's going to call me stupid. Don't call yourself stupid. One more time. Keep it simple, saints. There you go. You're a saint, not an ain't. Amen? Okay, so you and I can just read through this as pre-tribulation folks and go, you know what? This is as God had promised that he would keep his people. All Israel would be saved. He would do a mighty work in them. You can now begin to go back to Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and start to see these promises that he made to Israel, that people would be grabbing, you know, like one Israelite would have like seven people grabbing them and saying, take me to the truth, take me to where your God is. That's what I think is being fulfilled here. So there is not a lot of them, but they're being sealed. And then... 
Sometimes people make fun of us and they go, well, if you believe that the mark of the beast is a real mark, you know, we'll get into that later, you can't buy or sell without it, well then, if you're going to take that literal, then you have to take the literal seal of God from the angels. And I go, I have no problem with that. Does anybody have a problem with an angel sealing the believers? Remember, at this point, they've already watched, the earth has already watched, six judgments happen, one of them split open the sky, stars fall from earth, mountains disappear. I don't think they're going to really get freaked out by people with signs on their head to say, I belong to Jesus or something. God could do it like a tattoo. He could do it like a mark. These people wake up, they look at their, you know, their forehead or wherever, you know, right here, and they see this mark. Or it could be like a translucent mark that only the glory of God reveals. So when they're in their prayer closet and they're praying, it begins to shine. How many know we've already attributed a lot of faith to the book of Revelation? We can go this far and say there's a mark there. Amen. And so here they are from the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, some people have come to the, you know, the question here, where is the tribe of Dan? So Levi didn't get any inheritance in the land. So Joseph's tribes was split up between Joseph and uh, uh, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so basically everybody who looks at this goes, well, you know, uh, Dan is missing and Levi gets the 12,000 as well. And there's a lot of different debates and discussions about that. And I have a link there for you. My basic understanding is Dan probably got cut off because of some sin that it did, and it, and Levi had never gotten land, so God's like, hey, I got an easy solution to, to the problem of Dan, man. I'm giving the, the stuff to Levi, and we're just going to go forward. Okay, so that's my simple solution. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Reuben, 12,000. Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulon, 12,000, Joseph, 12,000, Benjamin, 12,000. Everybody said amen to that. How many are happy God keeps his word to Israel? Amen. Now, remember I said, all the way up until this point, most of all of our understanding of pre-tribulation worked really well, especially when we had to get over the hump of who those martyrs are. But now here comes a trouble for our position. The hardest passage, I believe, in the book of Revelation, the hardest one right here, it is. The hardest position for us, uh, the hardest passage for us to explain, I believe, is right here. And I believe we can explain it. It's just we have to look at a certain phrase and decide how we interpret that phrase. But here it is for the pre-tribulation folks. Okay, verse 9. As I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, uh, excuse me, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. How many have heard that scripture before? Now, that's amazing. Every time we hear that scripture, we always think of the church. We think of us, every nation, tribe, and language, uh, people group represented here. Let's, let's keep reading, though. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Remember, if you are a partner with God in the greatest acts, the acts of creation, the acts of salvation, you must be equal in your nature to God. Because how many know we don't have many creators? We only have one creator. How many know we don't have many saviors? We only have one savior. You know what I'm saying? I'll go through all the attributes of God. And so here, the lamb is given the same worship as the father who's sitting on the throne. Verse 11, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. So we see that picture of heaven. Heaven again. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Starts off with Amen and ends with Amen. I love that. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are those who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is the biggest issue that I have right here. And I'm going to explain in just a moment. But for my position, it's that issue right there. Start thinking through it with me. But let's finish the, the reading here. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. Serve him daily, day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never 
Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, somebody say the Lamb. Thank you. At the center of the throne will be their shepherds. See, there's another example. How many shepherds does God people have? Only one. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that's the person of the Lamb. The person of the Son is the shepherd. For the Lamb at the center of the throne. Where is he at the throne? At the center. There's only one throne shared by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. They're quoting Psalm 23. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here is where us as pre-tribulation folks have a little bit of an issue. All of these that are there after the sixth seal. Remember, we haven't even got to the seventh seal. We haven't got to, you know, all of the uh, trumpets yet, the bowls. And yet we're told that this number of people who are there, this uh, group of people that no one can number is already there. So now what is the post or or mid-tribulation person going to say? See, Brother Joe, that's where we get martyred and we're all placed be, you know, in God's presence. We just came out of the great tribulation. So God is going to allow that many of us to die. There, there it is. And everybody who has a sad look on their face, <laughs> I would be sad too because that's all you have to look forward to right now. Now, it would be true whether or not we wanted to face it or not, but that's basically what they're saying is that great multitude that nobody can number, that huge amount of people, that's you. That's your friends and family. We're all going to be martyred, and the only ones who will be spared is this 144,000, and they get to go through the rest of it. But you notice something. You notice something with that. They have to deal with this phrase like I do because, well, let me show you on the chart, because most people, no matter what you are, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation, all believe that it's the latter part of the three and a half years that's called the Great tribulation. And this is where we get into Daniel's 70th week, the prophecy of Daniel, which I will go into more depth as it's brought up more clearly. But this is something that now everyone has to decide how do they see the great tribulation? Because right here we are in the interval and we see that the multitude is there and it says they came out of the great tribulation. Now, the person who takes things as cycles says, yes, because the great tribulation is happening during the seals, the great tribulation is happening during the trumpets, and the great tribulation is happening during the bowls of wrath. And if they were to take both, everybody get this, if they were to both take the cyclical view as well as the post-tribulation view, I then have another set of arguments to come against that, and that's primarily what happens here at the the battle of Armageddon needs to have at least 100 million people plus the nations and the kings. And it can't happen if it was all settled here under that seal because there has to be great power and there has to be great things mounted during this time where during this time they're in a disarray. They don't have the ability to unify. And the Antichrist has not been mentioned here and he hasn't unified any of the kings and any of those things. So... The, the closest person here, and this is Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. Craig Keener, my two favorite scholars. They're Pentecostal. They love Jesus. They were both pre, uh, pre-tribulation. That is their strongest argument towards, uh, against ours as they say, we have to take the cyclical view. We have to show you that the great tribulation has already happened by the sixth seal. That's why they're there. But then what they do is they lose all of the timelines of the Antichrist building up his government and a world that's now pointing its weapons at God. And at that point, you just have to make a decision, you know, because I don't think the mid has even, has, can even get close to this. It's either the pre or post at this point. Now, you have to understand, uh, you know, take this for your own understanding. Do, do I want to take it cyclical and follow some of those great scholars? Because if we were debating, I'm telling you, they would hold me to the scripture and I would have to just simply say to them where I'm at now. It's my weakest point. It's it's a reason why if you want to argue it, you got to take me somewhere. Where are we going to argue this? You got to take me to Red Lobster because I got a punt right here. This is my punt. I have to consider the great tribulation all of human history since the birth of the church at Pentecost. Now, if you don't want to do what I do and say that's the great tribulation, you have to figure out a way to put the great tribulation there. So I've heard some pre-tribulation guys go, like, like a John Hagee, go, well, not everything in the seals is cyclical, but this is. This is now jumping ahead. 
And I just don't think it's consistent. Because if you're going to say we bounce forward in time to see the end of the story, and then we go back to the trumpets to, a, to an earlier time, I just don't think it follows through because we don't do that under the next interval. So either you got to take the whole thing cyclical, and if you take the whole thing cyclical, if you were there, that's why I told you this at the beginning, if you take it as cyclical and you get to this point, you're now pretty much a post-tribulation guy. And that's, that's like I said, these guys who I really love and respect, those two uh, wrote the book, I'm Not Afraid of the Antichrist, and they talk about how God will keep us. And it's not just 144,000, but the reason why there's only that little left is because we've been taken out, because we've been all martyred. Um, I just don't believe that corresponds with the other scriptures that say we haven't been appointed for wrath and that the harvest is going to be great at the end. I just don't see that. And then also, remember, you got to change the church age into the tribulation age, and why are these things happening? You know, because if it's cyclical, that means the poly, that means we're here for a polyon, and how in the world are we not casting out a polyon? And then once again, it doesn't fit with the one world government of the Antichrist being able to do everything because the seals leave us in disarray. There is no authority in a government in the seals. The, the, the sky has just opened up. All the stars have fallen down. There's a great earthquake. There's nobody running a government. Does everybody get that? Like it leaves the whole world in disarray. So that's why I, th- I see it as three parts of a play. And then, now, everybody get this, because this is where I think we've given them the wrong ammunition. Remember, they're all Christians. We all love Jesus. It's all going to pan out anyway. Can I hear an amen? How many are going to take the first trip out of here, the first train? You're not going to argue with God, all right? Because here now, I have an issue. I have always been taught about the Great Tribulation from the context of Daniel, the book of Daniel. But in the book of Revelation, great tribulation is not mentioned except in that passage. And so even though great tribulation is mentioned in Daniel, I don't think it's the same great tribulation of Revelation. Revelation needs to interpret its own words. We shouldn't try to interpret them from the Old Testament and force it to to be what it is in there because, here's my point, how many know when you read the Bible, there are many things called the day of the Lord. And if you try to hold the Bible to one day of the Lord, it's a lot of crazy stuff that you would have to do. You'd have to basically say, we are in a timeless universe because the day of the Lord comes when Christ comes. The day of the Lord comes when Jerusalem is judged. The day of the Lord comes when Jesus comes back. And the day of the Lord comes at the great white throne judgment. The reason is this phrase, somebody say day of the Lord. Thank you. The day of the Lord is a phrase, a phrase that means God's going to do something today. What day is it? It's the day of the Lord. Why is it the day of the Lord? God's going to do something today. Can I hear an amen to that? Have I gone crazy? I'm just trying to help you. So here's the way I understand great tribulation. Great tribulation is whenever things have been tribulating and they've been a tribulation time, and guess what? They've been great. And the last 2,000 years of human history, I think as we look back, have been a time of great tribulation from Christ's first coming to his second coming. That's the way I look at it. When you go to Daniel and it says at the end there's been no times like these and the Antichrist is going to rise up, this world leader and all of that, I believe that's talking about the last three and a half years. So you can have multiple understandings of the great tribulation. Now, at this point, as we move past, because I don't think I need to address this anymore, and I, and I don't even know how much I'll do it from this point forward in our, in our series, because this is pretty much where the timelines are all set. By these chapters, you've decided your timeline, in other words. How many of you have already decided on your timeline and how you're viewing this? Right? Like three of you. Okay, how many are just going with the flow? How, how many don't even care? How many just want to get back to the story? Okay. But th- at this point, I don't know how much more will be mentioned. So if anybody says to you, pre uh, pre-trib versus post-trib, mid-trib folks are not going to have much to say here. I've heard them try to debate it, but it doesn't really come out as clear. If you're going to talk to a post-trib person, then you've got to go into the storyline that we're about ready to face and say, how do you fit that in the six seals of judgment? How do you fit all of these things happening with world governments, united, you know, um, uh, united uh, governments coming together, the, the prosperity, there's peace in Jerusalem, there's a temple, there's actually a temple built there, and then there's a time when he comes in, he, he calls himself God. All of this is happening, it just doesn't seem at all with what's going on during the seals. So I think for us, 
the very uh, difficult passage is set, uh, the, the most difficult part about this passage is settling on great tribulation. And, and my, my place where I'm standing is great tribulation is a phrase like day of the Lord. It's used in multiple ways and times. And I believe this is the unified body of Christ standing under the throne of God. And there are those who are there from the seals who have now just gotten to become new Christians and they're dying because, you know, they're, they're suffering. And then there's going to be those that are going to come under there because they didn't take the mark of the beast, etc. Can I hear an amen? Okay, end of the interval. Now we go back to the seventh seal, chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened, talking about the Lamb, the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Why do I think there's silence in heaven? Because it's about ready to get worse upon the earth. People are now like, whoa, that was just the introduction? There's more coming? We take a moment from the Lamb's Supper. We take a moment from worshiping God, and we're like, whoa, this is going to be very bad for the people of the earth. So we now have a moment of silence. Literally, like that, that's, I think we even get it from a place like this. We are going to have a moment of silence to know what is coming ahead. And that's another argument to believe that it's linear, that now the trumpets are going to bring another form of judgment, and so are the bowls of wrath. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Remember, these are not prayers to the saints. These are the prayers of the saints. Does everybody get the difference? Because before, people are like, hey, we, we see angels up there, and they have prayers of the saints. That must mean we can pray to them because when we pray to them, it became incense. No, it's the prayers of God's people to God that they're holding. And now tie that together with the revelation of the Lamb bringing the judgment. Our prayers, everybody get this, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. And what does he do with our prayers now? Then he took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. Do you think any one of your prayers has been wasted? Look back at the scriptures. There has not been one prayer that you and I have ever prayed during a time of suffering, during a time of government calamity. Anything you've ever prayed for justice, for God to set it right. Oh God, please remove this leader. Oh God, please fight this battle for me. God, why did you let this happen? But I trust you anyway. Any prayer you have ever prayed is now in the hand of an angel coming down as judgment with peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Somebody say, prayers got power. Woo, thank you. Our prayers have power. I thank God for that. That right there, I'm telling you, that right there will answer every uh, unanswered question or unanswered prayer question you've ever had. There are no unanswered prayers if it's been according to the will of God. They will get answered either right now in this age or in the age to come. Every prayer according to the will of God gets answered. Sometimes we pray for these dear saints, like my mother, uh, my aunt rather, she was dying of cancer, and as she was there in hospice, and she was dying, it was going through her bones, and she was in so much pain, she kept saying, I'm healed. By the stripes of Jesus Christ, she said, I'm healed, and I, I was so encouraged by her faith, and she believed that she was going to come up out of that, you know, that, that sick bed, and I believe it too, but how many know there's a time once appointed unto man to die? At some point, even Lazarus died. Are you listening? We don't get to live forever, but I don't believe there was ever any unanswered prayer because she was saying on this earth, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed. And then she closed her eyes, woke up in the presence of God and said, I'm healed. And Jesus said, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And no one will ever take it from you. How many believe there's no unanswered prayers? Even the prayers of justice, they go answered either in this age or the age to come. I'm so thankful for that. So there come the, the fire of God's judgment. I can't wait to meet that angel. How many are ready to meet that angel? Amen. 
In closing today, there's, there's not much to apply to the judgment of God that we haven't already spoke of, but just as an encouragement to us today, keep praying for the justice of God. Right now is not the time of wrath. That's why we're not hurling down our prayers, or angels are not hurling down our prayers with fire. This is not the time. When, John, uh, when the disciples went out preaching with Jesus, some of the people rejected them. Abandoned altars workers, would you come please? Some of the, uh, the people rejected them. And then they said to Jesus, should we call down fire? How many have ever felt that before when you've been preaching and being rejected? You said, Lord, should I just call down fire now? And you know what Jesus said? He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. You know the difference. Listen to me, my friends. Look at nine, Luke chapter 9, verse 54 in the King James. I love the King James because it says it the way I was taught it. If you look at a modern version, it's a, uh, a variant in some translations, and they don't have it there except in a footnote. But go to the King James, what most of us were brought up on, that Bible that all the great preachers preached from. They were preaching, and they were calling out for the gospel to be received, and when it got rejected, they wanted to call out for fire. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now, where do you think they got the idea that there was going to be fire cast upon the earth? They got it from the Old Testament, from the books of Isaiah. They got it from the other uh, prophets that they knew that this was going to happen. Luke chapter uh, 9, verse 54, please. But it's not this time. Somebody say, there's still grace. Come on, somebody say, there's still mercy. You see, you can have the right theology about how things are going to end, but you can have the wrong heart if you try to bring that now. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 54 in the King James. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? See, that was a type and shadow of what's going to happen. Fire is coming down to earth. But he turned and he rebuked them. And he said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Praise God. How many of you are happy that he didn't throw down that fire then? That he went to another village? How many of you happy he didn't throw down fire in the year 2000? Or even just last year? Come on, how many are happy he's still going through the church from city to city, village to village? Because he has not come to destroy us. He has come to save us. Hallelujah. We need to call on, on our Savior to save this city. Save this nation. Would you stand up with me, please, in closing? And would you pray a prayer of intercession? If you have not yet accepted Christ, as our brothers and sisters are praying right now, would you accept him as your Lord and Savior before judgment comes? Simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. You died and rose again for me. Be the Savior of my life. I confess my sins and my need of you. Just call out today, Jesus, to be Lord. And for those of us who already have Jesus as Lord, will you begin to pray for this city? Pray for, these, for, pray for the problems that we're seeing on our streets. Pray for our schools. Pray for our, our employers and our employees. Pray for justice for the unborn in the name of Jesus. As we're closing out in prayer, if you need to accept Christ, you can come now. We'll dismiss in just a few moments for other needs. But if you want to accept Jesus, no matter your age or what you've done, don't be ashamed today. And you're never too young or too old. But come on, saints, let's keep interceding. Oh, God, I want to see you save. I know, Lord, you're going to judge. It's going to happen. But I want to see more souls saved. Lord, guard my heart against bitterness towards the sinner. If during this, you know, last election cycle or last time of the rioting, if you got bitter towards maybe those who disagree with you, ask God to take out bitterness and to give you a heart to see our city saved. Maybe during the last election cycle, you got so bitter towards Democrats or those who are pro-abortion. Ask God to give you a heart to see them saved. If God has, you know, humbled kings' hearts before, he can humble Biden and Harris's hearts. He can humble the Pritzker's heart, Governor Newsom's heart. 
the leaders of Canada, God can humble hearts, the dictator of North Korea, God, we're not asking you to destroy them yet. We're asking for mercy on the land. Few more moments. Your prayers mean something, don't they? Because when the time comes and they've rejected God, these prayers will be used as their judgment. But right now, let's pray because we don't know who will be saved. It's worth it even if just one more is saved, isn't it? Do we want to stop praying because we're tired? Do we want to stop praying because we don't see everything come to pass? No, keep praying because even one on this earth would be worth it. And God won't let one prayer go unanswered either by bringing about what we've prayed for or the judgment because they rejected it. A few moments right now, Jesus, have mercy on our land. Have mercy on our leaders. These times are wicked and evil, but you are still good and righteous. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we sing that softly, please, before we go? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but can we pray and worship before we go? And even if you have other needs, you can even come now and then we'll dismiss. But especially if you want to get right with the Holy God, on earth, oh, would you believe it? Your Just a few more times, would you believe it? Would you believe it? For your family, for your city, for your nation. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're a God who saves. You're a God who delivers. You're a God who transforms. We haven't gone too far from your grace. If we're alive in this age, it's because you still have a purpose for us, a plan to save us. Amen. As we prepare to dismiss using the side door so the second service folks can come in, thank you for making that easier for us as we're growing and expanding. But as we prepare to go, and as you're studying Revelation throughout the week, and these messages are becoming a part of your daily meditation, would you remember what spirit you're to have in this time? We are to know and to warn about these things coming. But we are to believe, God, that there is a harvest of lost souls still to be brought in. Jesus said that the former will be greater. The latter will be greater than the former. I'm believing for a greater, a greater outpouring of the Spirit. A greater outpouring of the Spirit. Amen. Father, use us to bring more around your throne. In the precious name of Jesus, the Lamb and the Lion, in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can you believe?